You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, so last week we talked about docetism. Uh, We talked about this heresy, and I'm going to give you a short recap of that in a second. Uh, whether you were here or not, recaps are my friend. Hopefully they're your friend as well. So a recap first, before we go right into docetism, about what we're trying to do in this class as a whole. I'm not going to reiterate this next week, but let's do this one more time, just so you're not down here thinking, I'm going to become a heresy policeman after this class. So that's really the first point of this class. We're taking a look at heresy we're trying to take a look at and see why it's not really actually transgressive or hip at the end of the at the end of the day. We're trying to see how, in fact, it's actually quite cruel, or at least that's my mission. Um, so, but first, we're not trying to find heresy under every rock. We're not trying to, you know, again, be those people who's like, well, that sounds a little bit off. Again, we're trying to create a little patience. Remember the Bible verse that says, "Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up." Uh, So we have to keep all these things in mind. So I said, first, we don't want to leave this place and be policemen. Second, every sermon that you're ever going to hear is a little bit heterodox. Now, the distinction between heresy and heterodoxy is, it's hard to distinguish between them. But what I mean by that is, you might hear a preacher emphasize one facet of the Christian faith, and that's all that they have time for and to the, you know, leaving out something else. So you know, what I mean is, in a sermon, you're never going to get the complete picture of the Christian faith. You may see people kind of veer toward emphasizing the divinity of Christ. Other times it might be a little bit more the humanity. So again, a reason to be slow to be theological policemen is that in a single sermon, no one's going to get it entirely right. Now, now, what I what I said last week as well was that doesn't mean don't be discerning. If someone's saying something out of a clear blue sky that's crazy, well, you have your antennae. You have your kind of framework. That's why we're doing this class. The third thing is that I think that the Christian life, or at least thinking about theology, can really be, it's helpfully illustrated in that, 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 that metaphor of the old-fashioned radios, right? You have a dial. It's staticky. You're trying to get it to a place of clarity. Maybe you go too far, static again. The Christian life is one of trying to find clarity in the midst of the static. Because new things are being thrown at us all the time, new ideas. And our posture need not necessarily be, this is something I never heard before. I won't entertain it. But again, so that balance of discernment, but also slow to becoming the cop. Uh, so docetism, uh, what do we say about docetism? We said that docetism means that Jesus only appeared to be human. And we said how, while for you and I today, we have the kind of the opposite tendency, well, all but the most fringe historians believe that he was a human, was around. But for us as moderns, it's, well, is he God? Are these truth claims about him real? But in the earliest church, it was actually the opposite. Uh, was he a human? Uh, again, the milieu is that there are divine-like figures everywhere, and, and Jesus was obviously this awesome person. So he probably was more a spirit than a human. So the, the parts of Scripture where it seems like he's weeping, sweating, 
he's suffering, those, those, it's only, it only seems like that's what's happening. Really, he's more of a spirit, and that's it. He, and what's most important, and what's really wrong about this heresy, is that he only appeared to die for us and on our behalf. So, one of the appeals of this, you might say, for contemporaries is that Jesus was so spiritual and we can be too. We can get away from the things of this earth. Because let's be honest, you know, death and decay is not pretty. I, I use that example. You know, we, we, we don't shower for three, four days. It smells bad. So you can get this kind of inclination they have of like, oh, just like flee the, the flesh. Um, but you can also see an appeal of this, which I was saying was cruel, is that we just might find ourselves being influenced by this thinking, fleeing anything that might result in suffering altogether. Fleeing vulnerability, fleeing risk. And vulnerability and risk are two things that are involved with love, what we're all about, what we were created for. Uh, so Ebionism, uh, really it robs us of love if we take it to its logical conclusion. I said, you know, there's times when we experience trauma in our lives and heartache, whether it's romantic, whether it's, you know, someone dies. I mean, is, that's the truth. We're all going to die, right? So the risk of befriending someone, of loving someone is not just, well, they might move away. Uh, like in New York City, everybody moves away. So you get your heart broken all the time. Uh, but ultimately, like we are all going to die. And so sad news alert again but um you can see how it's well to stay safe to to not experience that heartache that suffering again i'm just i'm not gonna get too invested uh, and with the christian faith what orthodoxy has maintained is no it's worth it uh, and not just because we believe that we will see them again now thank god we have that hope right but also it is worth, the risk is worth it. Uh, the blood, sweat, and tears is worth it. And we can see that in the life and death of our Lord. So that's docetism. And I kind of want to, so these two, docetism and Ebionism, are kind of frameworks to view, like pretty much every other heresy falls under one of these two categories. And then the later heresies we'll see incorporate a little bit of both. But I use the example of Gnosticism. I didn't want to get too into it because a lot of us, a lot of you guys, you're very impressive. You know your scriptures. You know that Paul is, is talking about these Gnostics. Um, but Docetism involves Gnosticism, Marcionism, a whole lot of other things. So that's the example. This week, we're going to go into the opposite side. So if Docetism is he only appears to be human, Ebionism is he is the opposite, right? He is divine, but not human. Um, so I thought for this week, I'd just dive into adoptionism, which again is under that wider umbrella of Ebionism, though Ebionism encapsulates more than just that. But I don't want to overwhelm us because if you read Fitzsimmons Allison's book, it can be overwhelming. It's great, but there's a whole lot in there. Uh, but so if docetism is he only appeared to be human, Ebionism, he only appears to be divine. So why would that say this? Why would they say this? Um, so here 
the, the metaphor I want to start us off with is who knows who Roger Bannister is? Anybody familiar? Yep. What did Roger Bannister do? He, so people thought there is no possible way that humans can run a four minute mile. They thought it was physiologically impossible and then this guy up and does it. He crosses that barrier and then what happens? A whole lot of people run the four minute mile. It's as if he just had to kind of pave that way and then the rest of us could do it. Now, not me, but, but you. <laughs> uh, but I bring up this, this illustration because adoptionism can be understood that way. That Jesus did what no one had done before, where no man had gone before. Um, and where Moses and Elijah, they were a really big deal. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was blameless. And he shows us that we can be too. Like Roger Bannister, now we just, we had this kind of mental block, this barrier, oh, like, you know, I can't do it. Now we know that we can run the four mile, four minute mile as well. So again, this is, the adoptionists are teaching us that we can do this, that essentially that just like Jesus, we can perfectly obey the law. Now, I don't want you guys to jump on that too quick. I know you guys have been raised in a steady diet of grace-filled preaching. So instead of us immediately going to like, oh, that sounds oppressive, that sounds bad. Uh, I mean, we have a lot of Christian friends, right? Or, so John Wesley, right? He believes that in community, Christian perfectionism can be accomplished. Um, now, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Wesley is, you know, gets a bad rap and maybe he went too far there, has a lot of other really good things. But the adoptionist thought that when Jesus is baptized, right, what is the voice of God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The adoptionist said that this was a knighting ceremony of sorts. Jesus was so blameless that he was delegated a form of divinity, not divine himself, but he was good enough to be rewarded. And they're saying, because Jesus did this, he has showed us that we can do this as well. So the good things about it is that it emphasizes the real humanity of Jesus, that Jesus could sweat, he could suffer, he was one of us, to use the words of that song. Uh, so he's, he's a real human, that they emphasize the necessity to follow him, right? That's, that's good, that's good. And third, they're really into the inspiration of his example. Again, Roger Bannister. Now, I feel like a lot of us in this room are predisposed to laughing at this, whereas last week we kind of identified more with, oh, okay, that's a you know, good point. Uh, because you've been told time and time again that all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned. Um, but really, this religion, it, it's, uh, it's helpful for us in our day-to-day -day is because notice there's no doctrine of redemption here. It's merely Jesus is a good example. Now, again, I don't want to take away from the fact that Jesus as our example can be a good thing, uh, but they don't tend to believe that anything was accomplished on the cross. The cross was like William Wallace in Braveheart. It was this great example that stirred on a nation to follow him. Uh, and what 
Orthodox Christians have said from the very beginning is that that is not enough. Uh, of course, when I watched Braveheart when I was a kid, I had goosebumps and wanted to be William Wallace. Uh, but as we kind of grow up in our faith and realize just how much we are in need, we tend to see that I, I need more than a, an inspiring example. Uh, in fact, I need a substitute. I need redemption uh, on my behalf. And so instead of being a religion of redemption, these early Christians, uh, and you could see how this could become really cruel, it, was, it became kind of a re religion of control. Jesus showed us that we can do this, so then why aren't you doing it? Roger ran that four-minute mile. I don't want to harp on that too much, but, um, but you, you should follow suit. So for the adoptionist, in a sense, we can redeem ourselves. We have the power within us. We are not dead in our trespasses. We, we just need a little bit of inspiring help. So, again, this is... Uh, I think one of the the appeals of this as well is the appeal of self-sufficiency, right? I, I don't want to need you. I don't want to need others. And with Ebionism, there is that promise that, well, in fact, you don't really need others. This, this, this inspiring example was good enough. So now run the race. And when you're successful, God will knight you. Uh, and we see this in the early church, right? Uh, most people are baptized as adults, but not just as adults like believers, baptism, infant baptism. They're baptized right before they die. And part of this is the belief that, well, I won't, if I don't commit any sins after, I baptize, after I'm baptized, I'm good. But you can see the, the, the temptation here, right? Like, I've, I've lived a good life. I think I'm, um, I guess, good enough, for lack of a better word. Aren't those people like the most kind of repulsive to you're just like oh gosh spare me uh, but in their eyes they're 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 doing all right but what the orthodox christians said was that no baptism is not uh, this recognition that you've run the four minute mile baptism is this radical part of the gospel where and we we see this when we baptize people right as infants that those same words over Jesus because we have been grafted in through his real death and resurrection we too have those words said over us this is my well beloved daughter in you I am well pleased so really the what's cruel to me about adoptionism ebionism is that there's no notion that the cross affected anything. Uh, you've, you've probably heard people talk about, you know, the child abuse theory of the atonement. Well, why did Jesus have to die? Is this divine child abuse? Um, and actually, I could kind of resonate with that type of thinking if it weren't necessary, if it didn't affect something, right? If it's just an example, like, well, that actually seems kind of cruel. Um, but we believe, Christians have maintained, that Christ died in our place and on our behalf. And for the next 1,500 years, that's really being fleshed out. Um, but for where this hits us today, I think we still have, I know I have, I just said a second ago, the desire to be self-sufficient, which really isn't all that different from the appeal of docetism, right? The desire to be 
comfortable to not take any risks to I don't I don't want to risk the heartbreak anymore here it's I don't need anyone else I can follow the example I can run a four-minute mile and this is where I mean neither of those lines of thinking are hip or truly transgressive these these are toxic right the beauty of orthodoxy really is that we are invited to take risks uh, particularly the risk of love right and I'm not just talking romantic love it can involve that but the risk of just what it might mean because we might be betrayed and I feel like all of us in this room have at one point or another been betrayed and the first time every time that happens that is the worst right and you might be tempted I just cannot risk having that happen to me again and similarly here just this you know I actually I don't need anyone else I don't need a savior that's what they're really lacking here right you can do it Moses couldn't do it Elijah couldn't do it Jesus did he broke that barrier and now we can it's all on you uh, and while because you're good gospel loving Christians that immediately strikes you as repulsive I have friends who my best friend from high school who really believes that he is self-sufficient or really the notion that he might need someone else might need a savior is is not good news to him uh, and he's probably only gonna figure out that it might actually be the best news of all when as Paul's all would say he has his nervous breakdown <laughs> um, but really so I want to stop there really the good news of adoptionism or evenism is to try harder uh, which last time I checked whenever someone tells me to try harder it makes me want to do the exact opposite you've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent if you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services find out more at adventbirmingham.org